This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by the Door County Community Foundation, inspiring people to give back, to sustain, and advance the community that we love. To learn more, visit givedoorcounty.org. Hello and welcome to the Door County Pulse podcast. I'm Andrew Clyden and I'm joined today by Miles Danhausen. How's it going, Miles? It's going good, Andrew. How are you doing? I'm doing really well. It's been a minute since I said those words. <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm back in the studio. There's no reason for me to not. Where have you been? Where I, did you go? I just I've been here. It's just everybody Traveling. else. Everybody else had more important things to talk about in here. So uh, yeah, Grace has been killing it with a couple of good podcasts. Yeah, uh, Jared at right on, and then. Uh, with the knobs, whose show I did not make last night, I allowed my wife to go while I put the kids to bed. That is okay, actually, because I saw that Owen posted it on his Facebook page. Oh, so. hey, we can watch it there. Yep, that's what I'm planning on doing. I'm excited to get to check it out finally. We have a couple cool things to talk about this week. We have, uh, I'll give everybody the teaser right away so that they'll stay for, for the whole podcast. I want to talk to you a little bit about what I would consider to be the biggest news for us because we can physically see it happening every day, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is uh, Nelson's, the hardware store in Bailey's Harbor, yeah. is being torn down to make way for the green space. We'll talk about that here in a little bit. I want to talk a little bit about Fish Creek's winter games coming up this weekend. And then after the break, we're going to talk about, uh, I believe, what you called the scandal at Scant. So we will we'll, we'll talk about Scant. It, it's been a bit since we since we reported on this, but it's one of those stories where you kind of have to talk about it in hindsight because it's just a lot of stuff that was going on and things being revealed at different points in the timeline. So we'll kind of recap what all went down at Scant. Before we do that, let's talk about Nelsons. Came in on uh, on Monday and they uh, they were tearing Nelsons down. Got two of those, uh, two of those diggers just making short work of it over the last couple of days. They were supposed to start at nine a.m. on Monday, and by the time I got here at like eight thirty, they were already chopping stuff down. By the time you're listening to this, we should have some videos on our Facebook page or on our we website. We already do, yeah. They're they're up for sure. Rachel Lucas and Brett Cosmiter were both out there taking pictures, doing time lapse videos of it coming down. You know, you mentioned that they started a little early, which is always fun because for us as a news organization, when things happen earlier than they're supposed to, we're then scrambling to set up cameras <laughs> yeah. and do all that kind of stuff. As I pulled in, I was taking my kids to daycare, so I drove by the office around like eight twenty five and saw Brett running up and down the marina trying to get everything set up to get those stuff. But him and uh, Rachel both captured some really, really cool photos and videos. So if you want to see Nelson's coming down uh, and say goodbye to it one last time, we've got that on our social media. And I will say it is, you already can, even though it's just rubble right now, there's no green space there yet, of, of course, but it's pretty cool seeing the view as you drive through Bailey's Harbor or if you're coming from County F to Bailey's Harbor, to Highway 57, and to come to that stop sign and just see that open expanse of water. I mean, it's noticeable. It's a yeah. big, big open viewpoint, and it's uh, it's going to be great to see what the town is able to do with that land and where we will probably all be eating lunch from now on. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I mean, Cornerstone just got a lot more valuable, by the way. <laughs> right. The, uh, the view outside Cornerstone is going to be great. You mentioned just how like noticeable it is. I think that two things are, are cool about it. Number one, Green space, access to the water, those types of things are important basically no matter where they go. But what I think is really great about this is there's been a lot of development in Bailey's Harbor over the last five or six years. There's been buildings that have gone up that have kind of 
made Bailey's Harbor rise and kind of feel a little bit more closed in, as, especially as you're on the highway. Mm-hmm. You had um, the you're, brewing You're talking co- about Lakeshore Adventures. <laughs> well, I mean, I wasn't singling them out because you had that. You had Bearded Heart. Not, not a new building, but, you know, a, a redesigned building. The black paint on there definitely made okay. it stand out. You had the brewing company. You had, you know, buildings go up in this area. So to have one come down and kind of release the air, so to say, it it does make it feel more impactful to have that moment of like, ah, there's the water rather than like feeling kind of corridored in. Yeah. It's going to be really interesting to see there's what that becomes. And then also what becomes with the Marina there. I know there are some discussions in the town going on about the kind of ongoing dredging problems. And there has even been talk and proposals that maybe the Marina should be on in a different part of town. Not for a green space purposes, but just for the functionality of the marina long term. But uh, I think, you know, it's the first step. It's going to be, you know, if you look at Sister Bay, for example, it took years for that to become what it is now. And Egg Harbor's Beach, as they expanded that, and they've done work multiple times over 15 years to what it is now, like, this is just step one in what could be whatever that becomes 10 years from now. Yeah, if they move the marina, then they just have to take down Dave's house as well. And then, you <laughs> that know. Would- be our office. <laughs> well, half of it. We can we can do with half. The other thing too that I think was funny when we posted like the videos or the pictures, somebody immediately it seemed like they were responding to somebody, but the comment they were responding to wasn't there. So I think they were just preemptively jumping in and posting information about what happened to the mural, which is great because it's like the first thing anybody who hasn't been paying attention to the story asks right away is yeah. what happened to the mural. So like the top comment on the first posting of it coming down was like the mural was taken off and it was painted on panels and now they are being stored to be repurposed. Yes. So I wanted to mention that for people who are listening and hearing about this for the <laughs> first time. Don't worry, the murals are safe. The, the mural, the Ram Rojas mural. Yep. It lives. It lives in panels as it was designed to be transportable. And so it'll it'll find new life somewhere else, somewhere down the line. So this weekend, Fish Creek Winter Games, Winter Fest is happening. What's the deal with the name? Like, why do so many people call it the Winter Games? And I know it is Winter Fest. Yeah, I still once in a while will slip up and call it Winter Games. And that goes back to the beginning of it 35 years ago. They actually marketed it as kind of like a kind of a joking Olympics. You know, it's a they put a, They used to put the tent, it used to be staged in the middle of town at the old Fish Creek Beach, which is now a much bigger beach. But at the time, that little postage stamp, they put a tent out on the ice. And that was kind of the whole gimmick at the time was like, look, huh. there's a big tent on the ice and we're all just going to hang out on the ice. You know, so they would do the Cherry Pits bit was the big thing for winter, winter games. And it was just random events. And it still has that component. But it's over time, it, it, I think at one point they made it into like a two-week thing without the centerpiece event. That's when it maybe switched to Winter Festival. And then that's just kind of what has stuck. That is my very short synopsis of the evolution from Winter Games to Winter Fest. The old logo used to be like Olympic rings. And it was like the five rings might have been cherry pit spit, toilet toss bike toss kind of thing. Got it. Well, that does make sense because when you think of the events that are at the festival, the bike toss, the toilet seat toss, the cherry spit, those types of things, they are all competitive. Not so much anymore. Ultra but, competitive. <laughs> but I mean, hey, people train. People train for it. I mean, you you go down on any given day, you'll see people throwing their bicycles, just getting amped up for it. Whipping toilets. I don't know if they're training, but just people just tend to whip toilets. You around do see Creek. that often. Yeah. The, the winter fest if, for people who haven't gone before, it's really fun. It's just kind of a, uh, a way to defeat cabin fever. hundred percent. Yeah. It, it's been 
sunny the last couple of days, which is nice. But I mean, if if Winterfest was happening last weekend, it would have been a a very welcome thing. Yeah. It just <laughs> I was down. It was feeling just gross all the time outside. The cold the last couple of days has not been good, but uh, <laughs> so maybe. Hopefully it'll warm up just a little bit for, for Winterfest. But they have a lot of uh, fun and games. It's a great place to take kids to. All Things Chocolate is there as well, which is a big fundraiser for the... Right now they're, they're fundraising for the Noble House, but it's a fundraiser for the Historical Foundation generally, right? Correct, yep. Okay, so that, I mean, that's just, you know, all-you-can-eat chocolate, basically. Yeah, and it's, it's actually pretty cool. I went to it, I think I volunteered at it three or four years ago, and just to help them sell for a couple hours. And it's mostly this group of older women who spend the week just making, like, their best candy recipe, which, like, nothing better than a grandma who has, like, these great chocolate recipes. Yeah. And they just come and sell them. They put in all that work to sell them to raise funds for the Gibraltar Historical Association. So really good cause. And, I mean, there's tons of stuff there for sale. And it, there'll be lines out the door. So it's actually, uh, it's funny. Eunice Rutherford, I think it was her idea from what I was reading up on. And she was a second grade teacher when I was coming up in school. And she was dedicated to the town. She passed away last year. But she was super dedicated to the school, super dedicated to the historical association. And this kind of event will live on, in a sense, in, in her honor, so to speak. She also, by the way, one of the, she did like a ton of history research on all of the small neighborhood schools that made up Gibraltar School, like all the little Bailey's Harbor, Sister Bay, Appleport, all those schools. So she gathered all this information in one place, and now we have that in our archives. That's thanks to her. So, huh. And so is all things chocolate. But uh, Winterfest is cool because you go down there, and it's, yeah, there's a lot of tourists there, but it really is just a lot of locals and stuff just hanging out and finding a reason to get together. Right. And every year when I go to it, I'm just like, oh, kind of total hey, Dan, good to see you again. Like, it's just people you haven't seen in a few months because you've just been, I don't know, hunkered down inside or just don't make it to fish. Like if you're one of those people who stays in your town in Door County, like you do that even more so in the winter. You're right. just like, yep, not worth sitting in a cold car to go 12 minutes away. I'm staying right. in Fish Creek or I'm staying in Bailey's, you know? So Yeah. You know, I count myself lucky because I live in Sturgeon Bay. I work in Bailey's Harbor and my daycare is in Sister Bay. So I'm, I'm traveling the peninsula basically every week. Yeah. <laughs> but I'm not seeing people there, right? Like I, I don't, I don't go out and do stuff, especially in the winter, because it's like, I, I just want to get my kids home and get them warm and yeah. yeah eat soup and go to bed. Maybe you could, maybe Dave will make you, since you're just driving that way anyway, you can be the bus driver now for that, that Sturgeon Bay to Sister Bay leg of Dave's big transit dream for Door County. <laughs> yeah, I mean. It, drop your kids off and, and drop everybody else off. The schedule will be, I, I will do one trip from Sturgeon Bay to Sister Bay at about 8.30, <laughs> and then I'll do one more from Sister Bay to Sturgeon Bay at about 5.30. It's kind of like so, the ferry schedule. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so, I mean, hey, if it lines up, we can carpool. Uh, I have one spot per yeah. day, basically, <laughs> one spot per trip that you can hang out with me. Let's take a break, and then when we get back, I want to talk about Scandia Village because some stuff has been going on up there, and you've been doing your best to compile and report on it, and, and we'll kind of go over the whole story here after the break. This episode of the Door County Pulse podcast is brought to you in part by Door County Medical Center. Are you looking for a job in Door County with excellent benefits, culture, and potential for advancement through tuition reimbursement programs? Door County Medical Center is hiring. For more than 75 years, Door County Medical Center has been the leader in health and wellness for Door and Kiwani counties. 
Their integrated medical center provides a wide range of specialties, including primary care, behavioral health, general surgery, the Women and Children's Center, the Door Orthopedic Center, the Door County Cancer Center, and more. To join the team, apply today at dcmedical.org slash careers. Okay, we are back. Give me a rundown, Miles. What was the scandal at SCAN? Well, uh, you know, I, I don't want to call it a scandal. <laughs> <laughs> but so Scandia Village, for those who don't know, Scandia Village is the large retirement center in Sister Bay. It was built 40 years ago by a group of local citizens who came together and realized like, hey, we need to create something, a place for people to go in, in the Northern Door community for people as they, they get older. And it was really this great grassroots effort. And then eventually that got, you know, you couldn't run that locally. So it was sold to or kind of taken over by Good Samaritan and ran that for a long time. And in 2019, Scandia Village was bought by or Good Samaritan was bought by a, a company called Sanford Health, which is a much larger healthcare company with tentacles in dozens of states headquartered out of South Dakota, I believe. So that's what Scandia Village is. And it's a complex of roughly 150 units of some sort or another. So that's 50 assisted living units. And then they have independent living apartments. They have kind of assisted living apartments. They have some middle ground of that. And they have like a memory care unit for Alzheimer's patients and dementia patients. So a lot of different things happening at, at Scandia Village. But that 150 people represents roughly 14% of Sister Bay's population. So it's a, it's a huge thing in Sister Bay. And for years, Scandia Village has been, if not the largest employer in Sister Bay, one of the largest employers in Sister Bay. So it's a it's a big piece of that community. Yeah, that's good context. And I started hearing rumors in September, October, that there were concerns about Scandia Village and the future of it because they were losing a lot of longtime employees, a lot of familiar faces, and people with a lot of institutional knowledge and people in leadership positions. So they start losing some of them. I start hearing about this from, A, I have a family member who's in the facility, so I hear about it from them. And then I also hear about it from other friends who have loved ones in there. And then I started getting emails and phone calls from people that I didn't even know who were concerned about people in Scandia Village. So I started checking around and talking to some folks. And sure enough, like a lot of these concerns bore out that it is now because of that loss of employees, Scandia Village is operating with a lot of traveling nurses, which is not totally uncommon throughout the United States. It's certainly not uncommon in senior living facilities that have long struggled. We've always, we've had a nursing shortage. I've been hearing about it, it seems like my entire adult life in the United States. And so they, they have a lot of traveling people who come in and sign like three month contracts to come and work in a place and then they move on to the next. They get paid a premium to do that. What that has meant for SCAN is it's a change in the feeling is what people kept telling me is everyone used to know so many of the people that they, they stayed there forever. And when you have all that turnover, you have a lot of people going through kind of that, that last stage of life, the maybe the scariest stage of life. And now you're not doing it with the familiar faces that right. you grew to know and trust. And so as they're leaving, you know, what's being missed? What knowledge is lost and what level of care is being lost? I will say that a lot of people I talked to said they still really appreciate the care and they still think it's very good there, but it, it's different. And so then there were some fears. I heard from people that said that they were hearing that SCAN might be closed down within the next year. And so I contacted Sanford Health and I started asking them some of these questions about what the future of SCAN was going to be and what their employment situation was up there. And you kind of get the boilerplate corporate response of, like any other corporate entity or in healthcare, 
there is a massive employment shortage and a struggle to find people to fill positions. And we are, we are not unlike any place else, which is true. And like I said, it's happening all over the country. But when you talk to people, they're saying that the shortage doesn't have to be this bad if they still maintain the culture that it always had there. Sure. Because it's not just that they can't get new people. It's that they're losing people who had been a vital part of it for so long and who were willing to take less pay or travel great distances to work there because of the culture. They were saying that culture is now hemorrhaged away and it's, it's no longer worth the extra effort. Yeah. So it's kind of a snowball effect, right? Yeah. It's, as soon as things... You know, you lose some people, it's not the end of the world, but as soon as enough people are coming through and things change enough, then that provides more reason for some other people to leave. Exactly. Yeah. So it's not just the shortage, it, it, it's a compounding issue. And it becomes one of those things where nobody wants to be the last good person left on the ship, right? You want to get out before you're the last one doing everyone else's job. And that's right. what people told me was happening is we're losing people and now I'm being asked to do stuff that I don't know how to do or maybe that I legally shouldn't do. Sanford has denied that, but I've talked to multiple employers, multiple employees who told me that that was the case. That's for me where things start to get dicey is like being a newer employee and trying to do your best for people. And like, you don't, you don't work at a place like scan unless you care about people. Right. And so you want to do everything that you can to help, but it, it starts to get really challenging when you're probably not supposed to do the things that you're being asked to do. Yeah. And the alternative is, well, we just don't have the person who should be doing it. And, do it. and there is a great committee that formed that is trying to help, you know, because it's not like a, from this committee standpoint, they weren't saying stand for bad. They were saying, how do we support you? How can we help? How do, can we help you recruit people? They already volunteer a ton of time. And that's one thing about Scandia Village. It's like a point of pride for that Northern Door community. And there are volunteers. I talked to people that said, you know, Bob Lindell, Paul Hadeen, they've literally painted like every building in that complex over the years on a volunteer basis. There's people who bring programming into scanned on a volunteer basis. There's Bargains Unlimited, which is almost entirely volunteer run that all of that revenue goes to support Scandia Village. It's a business entity that's over the years brought more than five and a half million dollars to support the programs at Scandia Village. They had a capital campaign to fundraise that raised eight million dollars to support additions and renovations at Scandia Village. So it's not just that this is a, a corporation. There's a lot of people who feel like, hey, we've given you so much. This community has given so much to this. You can't just treat it like a profit and loss statement. And that's unfortunately what tends to happen when you have a larger corporation where management is not based in that building anymore. Right. And they're sitting there looking at us from South Dakota. And you, from South Dakota, you can't see that $8 million capital campaign in front of your face. You can't see the $5 million at Bargains Unlimited. You can't see the retired volunteers who do all that work to get you that $5 million. You just see whether or not it's you're getting the correct Medicaid reimbursement rates and not the overall picture. And then it's easier to shut it down. So that's why people get this fear of they're going to close this. Ultimately, after a couple of months of back and forth with Sanford on my part and also from this committee, where Sanford said, we're just, we're planning to work due diligence work. Nothing is off the table, but we don't plan to close, da, 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 da. Then they announce it's up for sale. So kind of disingenuous for a few months there because it's, right. it's not like that, that likely didn't get decided the day they announced it. <laughs> like they probably knew that for a long time, even as they were maybe stringing this committee along. So, you know, a lot of, a lot of concern. I mean, hopefully someone good comes in and buys it and takes that over. But who, is it? like I get asked this question on a daily basis, who could we get to come in and buy it? I don't right. have expertise. <laughs> so, so, but a lot of people want the hospital to buy it, but I don't know that that, and I have not spoken to anyone at the hospital, 
But from what I know, I know the hospital works really hard to fill the positions they have. So taking on an entity that has lost a lot of its greatest asset, which is its employees, and then trying to rebuild that, you know, if, if I'm a, as a business person, if I'm looking at that going, well, that's not, that's not the easiest thing we could do, even though we want to do it for the community. It's like, if we do that, what does it take away from our existing operations right. and our existing expertise? So, so I... The, the part of this that I am the most curious about is what does it actually mean when a place like Scan goes up for sale? Like you, you say, like, who, who can come in and buy this? Well, what's the best case scenario for a buyer and what's the worst case scenario for a buyer? Well, I think the best case scenario is somebody with a larger corporation with the assets and the expertise, ideally based in Wisconsin, comes in and takes it over and, and continues to run it as a facility it is. Maybe they can figure out a better way to run it, but continues to do it with strong local leadership at the, the local center. And that's that's hard to envision because there is a there's a there's probably money to be made from a business standpoint in the apartments that they have there. Where it becomes tough is in the skilled nursing facility where SCAND has 50 beds, almost all Medicaid patients or reimbursement situations. The state of Wisconsin upped their Medicaid reimbursement from 77% to 91% to help try and help close the gap and help to keep a lot of these centers open because it's a statewide problem, not a Sister Bay problem. But companies still say, well, that's not enough. So there are, there are companies like this, healthcare companies, that want to get out of the situation where they have to get reimbursed through Medicaid. They just want to take private insurance or cash. So finding the right match for that is really tough. Maybe there's a local groundswell way to run it, but I don't know. I don't know if that can happen in today's healthcare environment. There's a lot of people who hope the hospital takes it over. And I guess the worst case scenario is someone less interested than Sanford, right? Like somebody who just wants to buy it up, turn out the best parts, or maybe buy it and sell the property. That was one fear with Sanford. In Minnesota, what they had done in one instance was closed down a rural skilled nursing facility and they they announced it with 60 days notice that the the residents had 60 days to go find a new place and they initially put a restriction on the sale of the property that the property was up for sale but it could whoever bought it could not operate it as a healthcare facility so you put the nursing home so that would have been the worst case scenario for scanned is if they said we're selling this but nobody can come in here and operate a skilled nursing facility luckily they haven't done that right what is the the future for the people who are there right now? I mean, are we looking at uh, 100 people who are facing eviction potentially or, or what happens with the people who are currently there? Well, what leadership at Sanford told me was that they have they don't expect a sale to be imminent. They said it could take up to five years, could be a year. So they plan to operate as is. But as of right now, and this is something I, I probably should have said earlier. What alarmed me about this was when I heard from a family member of my own who had a fall and had to go to the hospital, and they were in the assisted or the independent living. And a lot of people, the way Scandia works is people move into an independent living house or an independent living apartment thinking, okay, I'm in at Scand, if and hopefully I can stay independent forever. But if at some point I get to a point where I can't live independently, I can just move right, to, right down the hall into Scandia Village, into the assisted living into the skilled nursing facility. I have this pathway for the rest of my days. And there's usually a waiting list for that at SCAN. Well, they turned out when this uh, family member of mine looked into it, they fell, they go to the hospital, they're told you can no longer leave, live independently, but there's no room at SCAN for you. Actually, there are rooms available, but we don't have the staff anymore, so we're operating under capacity. So a place that's always had a waiting list in one of the oldest communities in the state now isn't even able to put people into open beds, into open rooms. So this person, my family member, ended up in Kiwani County. And there are others that have ended up in 
say Dorchester and Sturgeon Bay or Green Bay or Kiwani, because they can no longer staff it well enough to have people be able to stay in their hometown near the near their loved ones. And you think of that for a resident and think of the fear of that, that you might end up an hour away. I mean, that's right. especially if you've based your whole retirement plan. There's people who retire to Door County, retire to Northern Door because of SCAN, because they see that pathway for the, for the rest of their days. And that's when it becomes pretty startling and, and poignant. So at one point, those 50 skilled nursing beds, only 33 of them were able to be filled. So that's 17 people who potentially would want to be in that facility who couldn't be, even though the beds were sitting there open. Right. And all of those numbers, though they're small, they get compounded on by the fact that this is a small community. Right. Right. You said there's 150 rooms at Scanned, right? That Acro- across all the different yeah, facilities. It doesn't seem like a ton, but when you mentioned that it was like 14% of Sister Bay's population, yeah. <laughs> that's where it starts to get pretty wild. And to think that, you know, even if five people have to be relocated, that's that's a pretty big deal. That's five families that are impacted by this. And in a, in a town where, you know, there might be a couple hundred families. Yeah. I mean, you th- I've gone through it myself and you think of, as your parents age, you wonder, all right, what happens if, if something happens, what, where do we go? What's the next stage? And if you're someone like you or me, where you have a young family and you're like, all right, what's, it doesn't happen in a silo where you're just like, all right, how do I care for them? It's like, how do I still raise my family, pursue my life and still take care of my loved one? And having them an hour away is not <laughs> the best way to do that, right? With my own mom, as she aged and, and struggled with dementia, I was very worried about at one point, would we have to put her in a home? And I've, I've got friends who that I met with and talked to about this same struggle of their own with their wives or with their parents who ended up having to put them in homes in Green Bay or Fox Valley, which meant driving two hours to see them and knowing that they were that far away and all by themselves. You know, that is a very scary thought for a lot of families and it weighs on them in other ways. So each one of these people that might be impacted by not being able to get in that room or, you know, God forbid the worst scenario, in which case scan goes away. Like A, that's that's a lot of families that are struggling with that same situation. Or it's also a lot of jobs. The economic impact of SCAN used to employ over 100 people. Now it's around 60. So that's a lot of jobs not in Sister Bay right now. Yeah, that's 60. Or Northern Door. That's 60 jobs that go away. It's also however many people who are in SCAN who have to try to find a place to live. Right. Which you mentioned might be in Kiwani, might be in Green Bay, probably won't be in Door County. And when you talk about, sorry to interrupt you there, but like it, it takes me back to the housing study from back in 2018, that's 2019. That's what I was going to bring up. It's like that if there's 100 people in SCAN, that's 100 people who have a, a place to live. Yeah. If SCAN goes away now, it's how do we find places? Where do they for, go? Yeah, but we, there's no room for anybody as it is. There's no houses for people as it is. And that study revealed something I had never thought about when we've talked about housing shortages in Door County. In that study, they, they talked about senior housing. I'm like, what are they talking about senior housing for in this study? And then I started reading into it and talking to people. I'm like, oh, there are actually a lot of seniors who can't find housing. It hadn't even dawned on me. I always think of housing as a, as a young family problem, as a young single adult problem. I never really thought of it as a senior problem, but there is a legit senior housing problem in Door County. And it, it was made even in more stark to me when I did a story about Marissa Downs Complex in Sister Bay, which is the 46 units of affordable housing, income-restricted housing units that is under construction right now. After I did it, I got multiple calls and emails from people saying, how do I get on that list? And they were seniors who, wa- who wanted to downsize and couldn't just couldn't find anything. So they would be opening up their housing for a younger family if they could. 
if they could find something. So there is this like great demand for that kind of housing. And if you took Scand off the board, I mean, now you're creating a, a much larger problem. So hopefully, hopefully they find a good buyer that runs a good company that's at least marginally interested in the community in which they own something or is strong enough that they can put some quality leadership with independence in place. And when I say that, saying there, it was not that long ago that if you wanted to do a story about Scand, you called Scand in Sister Bay and talked to someone there and they could just talk to you. Every question I've had gets routed through corporate at Sanford. Sanford corporate does not want you to talk to the people on the ground in Sister Bay, even though it's a mile away from my house. Is there anything else that people need to know about this story as it stands right now? Obviously, we'll have updates for people as updates come. But like you mentioned, this could be a one-year thing. This could be a five-year thing. It could be pretty quiet for the next couple of years, or there could be a, you know, there's, there could be some movement on it. What do people have to look out for? Well, when Sanford made that announcement that they were putting that's that scan was included in their properties for sale, they simultaneously announced that they had sold a lot of their facilities in the northwestern region of the United States to Cascadia Health. So they found buyers in different areas. Maybe there's conversations going on right now. Maybe something's imminent. Maybe it's not like they, like they said. Maybe it's a long-term process. But there are, there are legitimate problems in this this sector in terms of those healthcare reimbursements from Medicaid and just senior living facilities, nursing homes in, in the general uh, way we talk about them. They've always struggled with staffing. They've always struggled with uh, getting enough people and getting people or having people that are doing the jobs they're actually trained to do and not asking nurses to lift 400-pound men up, for instance, or something like that. So that has always been a struggle in that industry, and there's always been care questions in a lot of facilities, especially in some of these private for-profit entities. What's next is, it's just, it'd just be a guess. But I know, I, I mean, it's, it's a question I, I get asked about it every single day since that story came out. People ask me, what are we going to do about scan? And I wish I knew the answer for them. Well, Miles, thank you for, you know, doing all of that work on this story. It, it, it's a big deal and it seems like it's a pretty complicated thicket to try to go through and to try to get all that stuff. So I'm, I'm glad that we have the information that we have and I'm hoping that there's a good outcome coming up. So am I. I'm hopeful. I mean, I guess the, the, the great thing is we're in a community that people do rally and support these things. Case in point, a couple of years ago, I was reporting about the Children's Center in Surgeon Bay being closed down. And just yesterday, I looked on Facebook. They're announcing the plans to and release some of the drawings of the this beautiful new 18,000-square-foot facility that's going to be built in Sturgeon Bay, right. which is, I mean, you think of the depths of where that situation is or was to where it is now. And even the facility that our own kids go to has, been, has seen improvements because the depths of it woke people up to the problem. Maybe that's what happens here at SCAND. And maybe... Two years from now, we're talking about a better facility than we ever had. That's right. that's the hope. I hope so, too. If, there, if there's nothing else, Miles, I think that'll do it for us this week. Thank you for, for chatting with me, and I look forward to chatting again soon. Thank you. Thank you so much for listening to the Door County Pulse podcast. If you want to support us at The Pulse, check out doorcountypulse.com slash shop, where you can get a weekly Pulse subscription, purchase some incredible Door County artwork from Pulse artist Ryan Miller, and much more. We hope you've enjoyed the Door County Pulse podcast, and we will see you next time.